old enough to think the good old days go back to time of moon landing. Beatles, Bob Dylan, fortunately those people can still be heard. And uh, of course we're celebrating the moon landing this weekend. Some of you, the good old days go back to just the beginning of this millennium. But for that, there are many of us here who might hanker for those good old days where uh, 60s, 70s, 80s Australia, everything seemed so stable. Churches were open and largely were quite full on Sundays. Supermarkets, back in the 50s, 60s, they were just new to Australia and they were closed. You might find a local milk bar open though. The streets were quiet. The CBD of Sydney was dead. There was no nightlife at all. To go to church was the majority position, even if for many it was just cultural. We can put up that first slide, Ron. If you can't find it, I do have a stick with it on it again. I come prepared. In my experience, it's always the technology that, thing that leads us astray. Even when we had the overhead projector all those years ago, I remember the, the bulb going during services. While Rod's finding it, would you like the stick again, Rod? He's finding While he's finding it, in those days, um, children played outside. Can you imagine that? It's extraordinary. Um, I remember we played in the street with other kids. We had billy carts and cricket, and we weren't allowed to come inside unless it was wet or it was time for dinner. TV, yes, we did have it back there, and yes, Stephen, there was electricity. TV was black and white. But if we look at Sydney now, what do we see? Shopping's 24-7. Lots of nightlife, and I'm not saying those things are good or bad. This is just how our culture has changed. Church attendance is very low, but probably reflects more accurately the number of Christians. We celebrate things that 50 years ago we'd daily dream would have been accepted as normal. We've got multiple religions in this country. So over the mores of about 50 years ago have certainly changed significantly and continue to change rapidly. Our cultural norms are bobbing up and down with apparently no anchor. And I want to explore how Christians might respond to these seismic changes in our culture. And I want to do that by looking at this reading from Hebrews, which was advice given to Jewish Christians. How are we going with that photo? Oh, it's on the screen. Great. Well, this was my Sunday school in the um, early 1950s. And if you can pick me out in it, you'll get a prize. And the prize is a book by Kel Richards called The Case of the Vanishing Corpse, obviously based on the death and resurrection of Jesus, but it's a good uh, whodunit read. Um, we'll put that up at the end and uh, I'll challenge anyone to find it. But you can see we could barely fit into the hall and the people at the back uh, were our Sunday school teachers. We put our Sunday school in this hall, down the front here, look very different to that. We can see just in that photo how things have changed dramatically in our society. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, 
We thank you for who you are. We thank you that despite what appears to be a shrinking church attendance and shrinking Christian numbers in this country, we thank you that we look in other parts of the world and see the church alive and growing like a bushfire in places like Africa, even in India, many parts of Asia, South America. Father, we pray that this morning as we explore this book of Hebrews that you will speak to us through it that the words that I speak will not be my words, but words that you want me to speak and that your Holy Spirit will be using those words to continue to transform each one of us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, they were good old days, but um, if we look at 2019 Australia, do you feel marginalised? Have we as Christians lost confidence in our message? Do we think there's anybody out there listening anymore? Do you think we're irrelevant? Do they hate us? Well, here we, in Hebrews, we can see how early Christians were treated and how they dealt with it and how they were encouraged. It's clear that the social status of the church has plunged, and I wouldn't think that's a bad thing, to be honest. Um, social status is not something Christians are seeking what is more important is that the message of the gospel is considered irrelevant in modern social debates. It's not welcome in the public square. Now, just a few background, obs and, ob background and observations for this letter. The letter of Hebrews was written to Jewish Christians in what we call the diaspora. So these were Christians outside Israel. They were Jews, first and foremost, but became Christians. So they were well-versed in Judaism, but could now see that Jesus was indeed the promised Messiah of the Old Testament. They understood that Jesus was the perfect once and for all sacrifice. That Jesus was the ultimate Lamb of God. Hebrews 10. When this priest had offered for all time one sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. He could sit down because the work was done. As Jesus said on the cross, it is finished. There is no condemnation for us who are in Christ Jesus. And the New Testament writers tell us of this new relationship we have with God. God's work of redeeming his people, restoring the relationship between God and man, is now complete through the blood of Jesus. But despite that, these Jewish Christians still suffered persecution and they've suffered persecution in their world because of their beliefs. I think we can identify with that, with every passing week in Australia. Not that we suffer physical abuse, but we're now a group very much on the outer. Christians, that's us, are not just considered irrelevant to modern life, but perhaps dangerous and maybe even evil because of the views we hold. But if we're truly to live a life in the spirit, it means being salt and light in the world. We're called to live holy lives through the power of the spirit. And I've always found one of the most challenging verses in the Bible is that first one we read in Leviticus 11.44. I am the Lord your God. Consecrate yourselves and be holy because I am holy. This command is repeated five times in Leviticus and Peter picks it up in his book 1 Peter. How extraordinary that God commands us, us, to be holy. Holiness is surely a characteristic of God himself. 
but he wants us to exhibit it. God is holy because he is exalted and worthy of complete devotion as one perfect in goodness and righteousness. And he wants us to be perfect in our goodness and righteousness. And of course, we can't achieve this ourselves by trying hard. We can only achieve it because the Holy Spirit works within us. But I'll put it to you, this aspiration for holiness is an obligation. As Paul puts it in Romans 8, verse 12. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation, but it is not to the flesh to live according to it. For if you live by the flesh, if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. Just think about it. We, that's you and me, all Christians, we're to live holy lives. That's God that's holy, isn't it? Not us, surely. But yes, this is what we are called to. We are being made good and righteous through the sanctification by the Holy Spirit. If we now just refocus a little bit on the, the great battle of worldviews now defining our society, our culture is not so much post-Christian but anti-Christian. How true are Jesus' words for us today when he says in John 15, and this is quoting Jesus himself to his disciples, if the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belonged to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. How much more relevant might we be if our fellow Australians could see us loving each other and quietly performing good deeds, living in harmony and unity with each other? Too often we're painted as hypocrites and judged by what the world sees as double standards. Sadly, this is sometimes true. Our relationships need to be characterised by graciousness and love. This writer to the Hebrew, Hebrews draws on the rich religious heritage of the God's people to show that their religious observances as Jews were there just as a pointer to Jesus. Although they were people who knew the saving love of Jesus and knowing that their sins were forgiven, this letter shows that they were also in danger of falling away. They'd been through tough times. They'd been physically assaulted. Their homes had been plundered and some of them had been thrown in jail. They had been ridiculed in public. Doesn't that sound familiar? In spite of this, they had, in Hebrews 32, stood their ground in the great contest in the face of suffering. But while some had stayed the course, others had shrunk back and some were in danger of compromising with their prevailing culture. And this is the lesson for us. Are we not in danger of compromising with our prevailing culture? Isn't it easier for us to go along, perhaps even be seen, seen to, be, to agree? Maybe because we need to feel accepted or we fear rejection. But as a result, we can become invisible in the world. We can blend into the background. Although, sadly, in recent years, we've become much more visible through royal commissions and postal surveys. But not in the way that Jesus wants us to be visible. The result... Perhaps society is starting to see us as dangerous people. 
but not because we proclaim the gospel of life, but because we are thought of as intolerant, bigoted and bad. Let's get back to the Hebrews. These Jewish people were God's chosen people. They were people chosen to be set apart from other nations in order that God would reveal his glory in and through them. It was God's choice to do it this way. It was and always will be about him, about God. He could have chosen anyone, but he chose them. And through these Jewish people, he decided to progressively reveal his truth and his plans for the restoration of a relationship between himself and us. It is his creation. And this truth was to make them a light to the nations. And the writer here reminds them of the religious observances for which they were familiar, but then places these observances into an eternal cosmic context. Their religious observances were to be a physical representation of the deep spiritual riches which God had for them. They were a shadow of the reality which would come in Christ. Their relationship with God was intensely spiritual but marked by physical things. Circumcision, the ark, the tablets containing the word of God, the sacrificial system, the tabernacle and later the temple. Their wandering was through an earthly desert to reach an earthly paradise, what was called a land flowing with milk and honey. But we know that at a point in time, just over 2,000 years, God's word became flesh and lived among us. God in human form, Jesus. Living, breathing, eating. Just like us in physical form, but so totally different from us spiritually. His only desire was to do God's will. He is the great, the perfect high priest. This priest, Jesus, is breathtaking. What he does is a once-off event. Forever finished. Time to sit down at the right hand of God. To sit in that special place. And, that, and what was the, sac- the result of his sacrifice? Hebrews 10 verse 14. For by one sacrifice... He has made perfect forever, made perfect forever those who are being made holy. Notice again the mention of holiness. We are being made holy. There will be a new heaven and a new earth. We will live in the land truly flowing with milk and honey. Now some further reflections on this part of Hebrews. First, confirms that we have an absolute rock-solid confidence in our relationship with God. We have a confidence to enter the holy of holies. We can go to the very heart of the temple. I presume it's there, temple. This symbolic place of God dwelling amongst his people. And we can go even further into the holy of holies where the Ark of the Covenant resides. That Ark, with its cover of pure gold and the wings of the cherubim spreading over it, was stored and where only the high priest could enter on one day a year. The place where the words of God were stored in physical form, the tablets of the law given to Moses. So special was this place that it was separated from the rest of the temple by a heavy curtain of gold, blue and scarlet yarn and fine linen with cherubim worked into it and hanging by holy hooks. This was to dramatically emphasise God's holiness, to remind them of the gulf between God and man because of sin. But now this rich rich curtain had been torn and they could enter. 
We can enter with boldness into the very presence of God. Not only has the physical barrier gone, but the spiritual barrier has been abolished. We can now approach the creator of all there is. And we can do more than priests of old. We can enter every day. There is no barrier between our holy God and us. Jesus' death removed that barrier. They would have understood the hyssop branch. Hyssop was a, is a tree in the Middle East and the branch was dipped into the blood of the lamb, sprinkled on the doorposts so that the angel of death would pass over them. That dramatic night for the Jews, the Hebrews or the Jewish people in Egypt is when God showed his judgment on Egypt which convinced Pharaoh to set the Hebrew slaves free. And this was etched into their corporate memory. In Exodus 12.22, it says, Take a bunch of hyssop, dip it into the blood in the basin, put some of the blood on the top and on both sides of the doorframe. None of you shall go out of the door of your house until morning. But now, through Jesus' blood, they've been truly sprinkled. It's the blood of Christ. Death will now pass over them and us. We are clean and pure. This is the Passover. Second, they're reminded to hold fast to the message of the gospel. Hebrews 10.23, let us hold fast to the hope we profess for he who promised is faithful. Hold fast. We need to hold fast because there are turbulent social currents swirling around us. If we loosen our grip, we may be swept away. In so many ways, it is encouraging to know that earlier Christians faced challenges like, like us. They experienced a battle of worldviews. The might of Rome with its cult of the deity of the emperor, the poor tolerance of the Roman authorities for dissent, the pressure to conform to the mores of the world, the moral values of this empire were appalling. Every kind of debauchery was practised. But these early Christians stood against it and suffered. The pressure to conform to Rome was sometimes subtle but often cruel and direct. For 300 years, the early church was nourished by the blood of faithful men and women who were slaughtered because they dared to defy Rome. It's no wonder that these people were at that time tempted to give in a little. I must admit that I'm not big on wholesale physical persecution myself, really. I can understand that um, we might make a little shift here and a little adjustment there, but before you know it, we've made a full blown compromise and then inevitably we become indistinguishable from the world around us. Instead of being part of the solution as God's new community, we actually become part of the problem. This is why the writer to Hebrews here is so forceful about the need to persevere. We need to remember that we are to be salt and light. We need to remember our first confident enthusiasm for the gospel, just as these readers are being reminded of their passion for the Lord when they first became Christians. As we read in Hebrews 10, verse 32, remember those earlier days when you'd received the light, when you endured in a great conflict full of suffering. Sometimes you were publicly exposed to insult and persecution. At other times you stood side by side with those who were so treated. You suffered along with those in prison and joyfully accepted the confiscation of your property because you knew that you yourselves had better and lasting possessions. Well, we need to grasp the truth with both hands and not let go. 
not even giving a little. And inevitably, the consequences for us may be just the same as for these early brothers and sisters. We're already starting to feel the heat. As I've said, Christianity is a bit on the nose in our society in general. Very different from that photo of my Sunday school in the 1960s. So a bit on the nose in general, that's probably being generous. Our modern culture sees religion as totally personal with no role in the public square. It is thought that religion as an institution and particularly our personal religious convictions should not be allowed to interfere with our function as good citizens. Actually, this is a pretty stupid premise, really. We are who we are because of what God has done for us and we are who we are because of the way the Holy Spirit continues to transform us. A third point from this part of Hebrews. These Christians were encouraged, in the face of persecution, to support each other. Hebrews 10.25, Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. He's not talking about a church growth program. He's not giving them a prosperity gospel. He's not talking about the easy life. This writer is encouraging them to keep on because clearly some people were leaving. He wants them to keep on keeping on. Evidently, it was as difficult for them as it is for us today. The writer is talking to those who claim to know the truth and in earlier days had stood courageously for it, but who had then got into the habit of not meeting together with other Christians. Maybe they had been numbed by the constant onslaught of worldly attractions, pursuit of career goals, pursuit of pleasure, or maybe they were simply worn out by the pressures of life. Perhaps there had been disagreements in the church. Hard to believe, isn't it, really? Maybe these disagreements hadn't been worked through. But the simple meeting together is to encourage one another to work through personal issues and, most importantly, to worship God together. We should be practising encouraging each other at church, at Bible study groups, at church dinners, at women's and men's events and so on. We should be using every opportunity to nurture someone in his or her walk with the Lord. Criticism, the cynical remark, gossip. These are all marks of the world. There is no such place for things like this in the church, which is the bride of Christ. And, we, and I cannot absorb, uh, ignore the sober warning in this letter, Hebrews 10.26. If we keep on sinning after we've received the knowledge of the truth, no sacrifice for sins is left, but only a fearful expectation of judgment and of raging fire that will consume the enemies of God. There is certainly no concept of universal salvation here. And perhaps this is unpalatable to some people, but the Bible is very clear. If we say to God, yep, I know what you're offering to me, but I don't want it, then God may actually give us what we want, an eternity without him. Hebrews 10.31 It is a dreadful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. This is talking about a deliberate rejection of God's mercy. If we do that, there's a risk that God will listen to us. 
Our world is a dangerous and seductive place. Our culture teaches us to think that human achievement is all due to human endeavour. There is no place for God, but human, human striving can never make us acceptable to God. We can observe fasts, religious ceremonies, give away money and do good works. But a restless repeating of activity to please God never pleases God. And it's so easy for us to comprehend, to understand, to identify with the secular view that what we do gets us ahead. But this is the world's way, it's not God's way. And in the church too, we can become focused on programs, on outcome measures and other things. But our calling as Christians is to persevere in our hope, knowing that he who has promised much to us is faithful. Let's practice building each other up, praying for each other, supporting each other, caring for each other. The world we will, know, will know we are Christians by the love we have with, for each other. God intends that his people will be a vibrant, caring community of believers in his son Jesus. A caring community who will support and nourish each other. Then we will be salt to the world and a light to the nations. From Hebrews 10, 35 and 36. So do not throw away your confidence. It will be richly rewarded. You need to persevere so that when you have done the will of God, you will receive what he has promised. Yes, the church may allow itself to become irrelevant by failing to live the gospel or failing to live as people who are now in relationship with the living God. But no, the message of Jesus is not irrelevant. Our culture needs the gospel. It needs it more than ever before. The gospel is very relevant. Australians need to know that the relationship with God is through Christ alone. When they marginalise us, when they mock us, when they hate us, let us love them in return. From Luke, Jesus says, But to you who are listening, I say, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, Pray for those who ill-treat you. And Jesus himself gives us the prescription for those who call themselves his disciples. This is the bit about our relationship with each other. From John, Jesus says, A new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you. So you must love one another. By this everyone will know you are my disciples, if you love one another. A new command. It's not an optional extra. This is what is marking us out as Christians. It is essential in our relationship with each other. Let's go and live the gospel remembering those words of Jesus. This is what sets us apart and makes the gospel, the church and us relevant. And from 1 Peter. Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul, live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they will see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Let us as God's people meet hate with love and let us love one another. And let us pray. Our great God and Heavenly Father, thank you that you have transformed us through the blood of Jesus. Make us people that demonstrate that love for each other. As we're persecuted in the public square, let us turn the other cheek 
and pray for those who hate us. Let us, through our love and graciousness, show people the gospel in the way we're living our lives. Father, we pray that you will use us, that you'll continue to transform us more into the likeness of Jesus. As people see that likeness, that you will draw people into relationship with you, those fellow Australians who so desperately need this gospel of salvation. We pray these things in Jesus' great and wonderful name. Amen.